You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 87. Today's reading is from Mark chapter 5, verses 24 through 34. At that time a great crowd followed Jesus and thronged about him, and there was a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I shall be made well. And immediately the hemorrhage ceased, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone forth from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had been done to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace." and be healed of your disease. Our reading today tells the story of a woman who had suffered for many years, sought out numerous physicians, and spent all that she had seeking a cure without success. She then has an encounter with Christ, touches the hem of his garment, and as Jesus says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Father, I'm, I'm probably going far afield from the teaching that we should receive from this passage, but I can't help but think of the past year and, and how so many of us found ourselves in a debate about science and faith, whether or not to wear a mask, to get vaccinated, whether to send our children to school or to, to attend church. Would you weigh in on this topic and explain to our listeners what Scripture teaches us regarding faith and science? Should we rely on God alone for physical healing? Should we relegate God to our spiritual health only? and rely on doctors for our physical ailments. I suspect that the answer is somewhere in the middle. You have very good questions, Jason, and something that I personally care about uh, deeply myself. And, of course, to be clear, I need to state that I'm not claiming by any means to be a, a scientist. Uh, I do dabble in science to some degree out of, out of personal interest, probably know just enough to be dangerous. But I certainly wouldn't uh, claim to be a scientist or a scientific expert. As I said, though, I do read quite a bit about science and scientific matters to keep up on it, uh, to study it from a broad perspective and to get a general overview. Several years ago, I also, uh, again out of personal interest, audited a class online from Duke University about evolution and genetics. Very fascinating class, actually. I received some kind of certificate from it because I did complete uh, the coursework, including the quizzes and exams, but uh, did not receive course credit because I didn't want to pay several hundred or I don't know, it might even have been a thousand dollars just to get the credits. That's interesting, Father, that you took a class on evolution and genetics, uh, and you said that you did this out of a personal interest, which I understand, uh, and I'd like to ask you why it is that you're interested in that. Well, it's highly relevant, I think, to being a clergyman today because we live in a scientific age. The interaction between faith and science is perhaps the central question of our day. And it's interesting to see the pendulum swing because it seems to me, just 
my own anecdotal observation that 10 or 20 years ago, the predominant theme as it relates to faith and science was driven by uh, so-called new atheists. And I followed them, again, out of personal interest. I read some of their works and, frankly, uh, was not that impressed by them. And why do you say that? Well, I remember quite clearly, actually, I I was on an airplane when I started to read uh, Dawkins' book, Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, and I made a comment to my wife. I said, you know, this is almost exactly the type of fundamentalism I saw in the types of, of fundamentalist Christianity that I left behind. And what do you mean by that, Father? What I mean is that Dawkins takes the most extreme fundamentalist Christian or religious ideas and then he tears them down. And I'm sitting there saying, okay, yeah, you know, I can agree with some of these takedowns, but I don't know many serious Christians or you know, other religious people who actually think that way. But then he just, he goes overboard after making what I would call uh, these straw man arguments, and he just belittles and mocks his opponents. And I don't, I don't have time for that. I don't think it's serious. It's, it's written to appeal to people who already agree with you. It's, it's written to sell more books to them. It's not a serious discussion. It doesn't really add to this debate about science and religion. It's just a popularization of his ideas. And, you know, some people find it attractive because by mocking others, we often feel superior. And again, this is what some Christians do also, but none of this, in my opinion, can be taken seriously. There has to be a more serious, sincere discussion around these issues. So you mentioned earlier about the pendulum swinging, and you noted the new atheist ideas and dominating this science and faith discussion years ago. What do you see now? Where do you think the pendulum is swinging? So I've seen the pendulum swinging back in the direction of faith and having a value uh, given to religion uh, fairly recently, really. And, and what's interesting is that uh, this swing is not necessarily by people who have some sort of a deep faith, okay? I'm, I'm talking about more academic people. So take, for example, uh, Jordan Peterson. He's had quite a following. My understanding is that he doesn't uh, subscribe to any specific religion, but he's clearly seen the value in uh, traditional Judeo-Christian principles, Uh, There's a book out called Dominion. It was written by a man named Tom Holland, who is a writer and scholar. He's someone who's serious. He he considered himself an atheist, and he may still be an atheist. I, I really don't know. But he shows in Dominion how he now, through study and reflection, realizes the importance of Christianity and how much it has impacted Western societies in ways that most people uh, don't necessarily recognize. And specifically, he, he's called out how many of the uh, most important principles that we hold dear as a society uh, didn't come from ancient Greece or from Rome, but from Christ, from the New Testament. And by the way, these are principles which I'm guessing Richard Dawkins would hold dear, yet without Christianity, there's really no basis for believing in these principles and ideas that that I can see. They certainly are not taught uh, to us by evolutionary biology in and of itself, by our instincts and our natural desires. And then, uh, you know, one more example uh, I want to point out, an article I recently read, very recently, called The Turning Tide of Intellectual Atheism. And the subtitle was uh, a growing number of leading serious intellectuals are recognizing the need for Christianity's resurrection, but can't quite bring the faith to life in themselves. And yes, that was the entire subtitle of the article, rather long one. And I really want to share this extended quote from the article by a Scottish historian who is now at Stanford, Neil, Neil Ferguson, 
And here's what he had to say, quoted directly from the article. Again, quote, I was brought up an atheist. I didn't become one, he said. I regard atheism as the religious faith I happen to be brought up in. It is, of course, as much a faith as Christianity or Islam, and I have the Calvinist brand because my parents left the Church of Scotland. I was brought up essentially in a Calvinist ethical framework, but with no God. This had its benefits. I was encouraged to think in a very critical way about religion and also about science, but I've come to see as a historian that you can't base a society on that. Indeed, atheism, particularly in its militant forms, is really a very dangerous metaphysical framework for a society. That's the end of quote. And then he went on. Again, I'm quoting him. I know I can't achieve religious faith, but I do think we should go to church. We don't have, I don't think, an evolved ethical system. I don't buy the idea that evolution alone gets us to be moral. It can modify behavior, but there's just too much evidence that in the raw, when the constraints of civilization fall away, we behave in the most savage way to one another. I'm a big believer that with the inherited wisdom of a two millennia old religion, we've got a pretty good framework to work with. End of that quote. This is very interesting examples, Father. But certainly they don't show the exact same faith that many of us Christians have who deeply hold a belief in Christ and who consider that going to church is more than being about just a moral framework. Yeah, right, right. But my point, of course, is not to argue that these people I mentioned are saints of the faith, but rather to show how the intellectual tide has turned, how that pendulum, as I said, is swinging. And so whereas people two decades ago who wanted to be considered serious scholars often mocked Christianity and treated religion as a dumb, superstitious invention. Today we see that many serious scholars are saying, wait a minute, you know, maybe this Christianity isn't so stupid after all. We have people who are scientists and scholars saying there is value to faith, to religion. And again, whereas a few decades ago there was a popular movement to sort of rid society of faith and to supposedly focus entirely on science, uh, to now, we have, at least again in some circles, this more balanced and nuanced idea driving the narrative that not only can faith and science coexist, but they should coexist, and that's actually, in my opinion, quite beneficial. Very good. I appreciate you sharing all of this with us, Father, in these examples. And so far, though, we've really covered things more just from a scientific or a scholarly standpoint. We've talked about how in some scholarly circles there's been a, a deeper recognition of the role faith plays in our culture and in societies and how that is beneficial. And so while many people did and, and still do want to get rid of religion and, and just look to science, there are now more scholars saying that faith and religion play an important role and science is not the answer uh, to and for everything. But if we could, I'd like to conclude today by turning our attention to uh, to religious people, people of faith, and, and most especially, of course, those of us who are Christian. How should we understand science as it relates to faith and, and as it relates to things like healing that we mentioned from today's reading? Yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm going to refer to science to begin this part of the discussion. So Newton's third law of motion states that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. And I say that because just as many scientists and scholars overreacted by completely uh, dismissing faith and religion, so many people of faith overreacted by dismissing science. And how so, Father? 
Well, there are all sorts of examples that I could cite, but I'll, I'll limit myself to a few. One, one would be the complete dismissal by some religious people of the theory of evolution. Now, most of those who dismiss this theory of evolution have no scientific reason to accept anything else, or to say that differently. They have no coherent theory that makes sense of the biological world that we see and experience. So they end up either trying to poke a small hole here or there in evolution, or they simply refer to the Bible as though it's a scientific textbook. And this is not what the Bible's trying to do, to be a scientific book. No one in the ancient world even thought in the same way that we do in terms of the scientific method. So that type of approach is really a way of reading into the text from our modern understanding of the world, and it's a big mistake. But moreover, what religious people tend to do is to focus on the first chapter of Genesis. And I honestly have no idea why they do that. They focus on the account of creation in seven days. Yet there's another creation account immediately following that, and one that does not align, if we were to take both of them literally at face value as a scientific explanation, the second account does not align neatly with the first. In the first account, humanity comes last. In the second account, humanity comes first, and then the animals. And we could go on and on, but the point is that Genesis was not written to be a scientific explanation, and if we're going to be serious about science, then we have to look at the actual evidence, not what we want things to be, not what we read into it, into science, because of what we read in the Bible, but what they actually are. And that evidence points to the Bible not trying to scientifically explain creation. And we should be fine with that today as Christians in the modern world because, as I said, that was not the purpose of the text itself. The authors were not trying to do that. What were they trying to do? They were giving us a narrative by which we are to understand our life, our existence, our relationship to God, our relationship to the world, and our relationships to one another. And that's what some of these serious scholars I mentioned before are saying, essentially. They're saying, and I agree with them on this point, that evolution or science in general doesn't penetrate us as deeply as we humans desire. They're just explaining facts. That's what science does, is explaining facts. And, and doing that to a human being, to a person, doesn't mean much. We immediately begin to interpret these facts. We immediately begin to analyze what they must mean, and specifically how that changes or should change the way that we live our lives. And so the Bible and faith serve as a narrative about how we should live and understand the world. For us as humans, it seems insufficient for us to simply know that we do live, that we do exist, that there is this world we inhabit. We long to know more. We long to know how we should treat others, how we should understand what all of this means. So just to conclude, Father, as we're running short on time, how would you briefly describe or explain how we as Christians should understand or interact between faith and science? We should never see the two as contradictory. For the person of faith, the study of science, the observation of what happens in this universe, is the study of God. Because for us as Christians, as Genesis describes in its own way, everything refers back to God. For us as Christians, we seem to intuitively understand this. I mean, you would be a complete lunatic if your child was severely injured to call me, the priest, to heal them. No, you go to the doctor. There's nothing wrong with that. And then call me and ask me to pray for them. And thank God that there was a doctor who could attend to the physical ailment. 
And when you get old and you're in the hospital and you're not sure what's happening in your life, how to make sense of all that's happening, how to prepare to die, then most likely you're not going to call the doctor back to the side of your bed to ask the doctor that. You call the priest. That's why hospitals don't just have doctors, they have chaplains as well. Most doctors cannot care for the whole human person. It's a special one who does. They tend to do really well taking care of the body, but only a few can also care well for the soul. And the opposite is true for those of us among the clergy. Most of us cannot deal with the human body, the physical needs of the body, as well as a doctor. And obviously, by using these examples, I, I don't mean that you know we should wait to talk to the priest or other spiritual people that we trust until we're on our deathbed. I just mean that there's a place for those who heal the body and a place for those who heal the soul. And very infrequently, very rarely, do these two abilities overlap in the same person. Jesus Christ, of course, is unique. But ultimately, the point I want to make to conclude with here is that there's no problem for the Christian to study science, and there's no reason a scientist cannot have faith. And as far as I'm concerned, it's a tragedy when we pit faith and science against one another, because ultimately, as a Christian, I refer all things back to God. So again, to study science, to observe the world, is to study and observe God in the ways he reveals himself. And both faith and science, properly studied and understood, lead us to truth, which is, after all, what we Christians say we seek and is what we should be seeking. Thank you, Father. Today's reading from Mark 5 led us into a discussion of faith and science and how a Christian should rightly understand the relationship between the two. While the relationship between faith and science has changed over the centuries, in more recent history the pendulum continues to swing. Father Aaron explained that he views the current state of this debate as moving back toward a recognition by academics that there is value to be found in Christianity. And while their rationale for the value of our faith is certainly incomplete and lacking in fullness, nevertheless we can see there is greater potential for understanding between those who align themselves with one position or the other in this debate. As for Christians and how we should understand and apply science and faith, we must first recognize that these things should coexist. For in the study of science we find that God's creative power is revealed to us. And as the psalm says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Therefore, when we are physically ill, we should seek out a skilled physician. And when we suffer from spiritual sickness, we should seek help from our priest or spiritual father. Both are necessary and good. In studying science and in living out our faith, we ultimately will be led to truth. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, Alleluia, glory to Thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to Thee, O God. Oh.